You're listening to the Bible Brush Up podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Crawford, coming to you from Plattsmouth, Nebraska, where our church is currently going through a reading plan called 90 Days Wise. We are looking at the wisdom literature of the Bible, and we have just finished the book of Proverbs and are now in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is a book that is very confusing for many. In fact, a lot of people avoid reading it altogether, probably because of how uplifting and positive it is. It starts out meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That doesn't make a best-selling book, an introduction like that. Um, People like to be uplifted. And in fact, many people feel that the Bible overall is uplifting. And now they get to a book in the Old Testament that seems to go the opposite direction and tell them that they have no purpose in life, that their life is meaningless and It causes overall confusion, and so people don't know what to do with this book. And there are some passages in it that by themselves express uh, ideas that are contrary to the other parts of God's word. For instance, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, that seems to imply that we need to indulge the flesh um, because that's our only purpose. But the rest of Scripture tells us to deny the flesh and to pursue the things of the Spirit. And other passages can be taken out of context to be used to create even cults that form based on some ideas that by themselves, out of context, in the book of Ecclesiastes show up. Ideas that we came from uh, heaven before we were people. Uh, Ideas that spirits of animals and spirits of humans share a common uh, origin and a common destination. There are ideas like this that pop up in some of the verses that are taken from the context. So let's look at the book as a whole. Let's look at what it teaches and try to get the purpose of the book, Um, which is ironic because it's a book that talks about our lack of purpose. Meaningless, meaningless. That's the opening words. There's some debate on what the word meaningless means, but I think despite who you listen to, I think the overall gist of this expression is that the world is unsatisfying. So unsatisfying because you can't get anything that leaves you fulfilled, that completely quenches your thirst for the innate desire uh, to have something of purpose come from you. Um, You desire, and I desire, to leave a legacy, to do something that's ongoing, long-lasting, that won't corrode over time, but the preacher here says that's not really possible. There's nothing new under the sun. You're not going to contribute anything, and it certainly won't last forever. That's the idea of the word meaningless here. And Solomon, who we believe is the author, has gone through many experiences to show us that that's the case. He pursued wisdom, and it was the wisest in the land, and he said, It led to sorrow in chapter 1, verse 18. He pursued the pleasure of wine. He pursued great works. Uh, He had houses, and he had gardens and pools. He had stuff like gold and silver. Um, He had entertainment, singers, and concubines. And at the very end of it all, he he says this in chapter 2, verse 11, that I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun everything that solomon had set out to do and to accomplish when he looks back on it it doesn't leave him happy it doesn't leave him fulfilled it leaves him sad and he views it as trying to catch wind and that image just gives us this idea that you you can reach out you can squeeze your fingers around the wind but you can never get it 
And so we have ideas and desires that we want to see accomplished, but in the end, we just can't have that satisfaction under the sun. It will not come to us. And Solomon goes on to compare different people and the observations of walks of life that he's observed um, and the outcomes of those walks of life. So the wise, he's observed the wise and their life. He's observed the fool and their life. And what's the end result? They both die. The rich and the poor, they both die. The noble and the commoner, they both die. They both go in the ground. And then whatever they work towards is absorbed back into the cycle of that which goes on under the sun in repeated fashion. Nothing new, just keeps cycling again and again. Your money that you accumulated when you die, it just goes back into the economy. It gets dispersed among fools. It gets dispersed among evil people and good people. It just goes all over the place, and somebody else has to start the process all over to accumulate that wealth. You never know what's going to happen. Your kingdom that you built up from scratch may get demolished in a day when you die and someone else takes it over. We've observed that in history. And so it really puts a a negative taste in Solomon's mouth about the outcomes of the pursuit of happiness and everlasting contentment. Another observation Solomon makes is that calamity can come on you when you least expect it. You can be a wise person, a good person, a righteous person, and a tsunami can show up and take you out. And you die young, whereas an evil dictator somewhere lives on and on and on in his foolishness and his oppression. And for Solomon, it seems just pointless and meaningless. And it's unsatisfying to look at a world that can unfold that way. Um, Because the idea that the righteous always prosper doesn't always occur. There are some general principles that we've looked at already in the Proverbs, but it doesn't always unfold that way. That's what the book of Job is about. Uh, A righteous man who goes through a lot of suffering. And Solomon's observation of this just leaves him feeling empty. So what is his conclusion at the end of it all? Well, he advocates for a middle-of-the-road approach where you avoid the extremes and it's not going to leave you fulfilled. He hasn't found an answer to the idea of meaninglessness, but this is kind of a pick your poison. This is the the best you can do. This is the lesser of the evils available to us. And so he advocates that we avoid poverty, but also avoid a lifestyle that is greedy and grabs on to riches and doesn't let them go. I think it's a very similar conclusion to life to that of the writer of Proverbs 30 in verse 7 through 9. He says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The writer of Proverbs here, he takes the middle of the road approach. He doesn't want to be hungry. Because if he's hungry, his flesh might take over and he might do things that would dishonor God, like steal and profane the name of God in the process. He doesn't want to be fool 
because then he'll start to feel self-sufficient and the riches will cause him to stray away from God and trust in his own power rather than the God who even gave him those riches. He's seen that in action. I've seen that in action. So he wants that middle of the road. He wants balance and contentment, and that's what Solomon is advocating for in his um, recollection of the observations of life. He's looking at the poor, and he's saying, yeah, you don't want to live poor because then you have nothing to eat. You're hungry, and life is rough. It's tough. It's hard. You've got nowhere to lay your head. You don't have enough clothes. And you don't want to live a life, though, where you're so greedy that you hold on to your money and you store it up like Scrooge because then you're going to die and you can't take it with you. And then it goes to some fool who wastes it. And what was the money for? What was the purpose of working so hard and sacrificing so much to have all of that money if you couldn't even use it? And you can't have your cake and eat it, too, is the old saying. So if you're going to get your money from your work... Solomon suggests life under the sun is best. It's not perfect. It's not even good. It's still meaningless, but it's best if you just use a little of it. So you go work, you make $100, you get a Chick-fil-A sandwich after work to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Now, that Chick-fil-A sandwich is going to be gone in five minutes, and now you're left with nothing, which is the meaninglessness part. It's never going to eternally satisfy. You're going to continue to need and to want until the day you die, and then you look back on your life, and what'd you do? You ate a bunch of Chick-fil-A sandwiches and worked a lot. Whoop-de-doo. Meaninglessness. And that's the problem. It, it's like, it's, it's bad if you're poor. It's bad if you're rich. And it's maybe just a, a hair better if you take that middle line. But that's the best you can do under the sun. Don't pursue an ascetic lifestyle, Solomon says. Don't deny yourself every comfort of life because then your life stinks. You had no comfort. You had no joy. But don't be hedonistic and pursue every appetite of the flesh because that will lead you into destruction. Chasing women will lead you to destruction. Chasing alcohol and substances will lead you to destruction. Chasing the appetite of, the, of food will lead you to an unhealthy weight, blood pressure problems, and everything else. You just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. That, that can have some serious consequences too. So we look at this direction for Solomon, and we're still depressed. He gave us the best road forward, but it's still depressing. But here's what we got to remember. At the end of it all, when he appeals to contentment and balance, he does so as the best move forward for people under the sun. So these are general principles that would apply to every person, everywhere. And this isn't the only guy coming to these conclusions. There was a whole philosophical system called nihilism, and it's still around today, and there are people who buy into it, and I think it's pretty logical if you don't believe in God. If you don't honor God, you don't like embrace the revealed uh, scripture as truth, then I think your next best conclusion logically is nihilism, which says that we can't know anything. It's agnosticism on steroids. So we can't know God. We can't know what he wants if he's even there. We can't know why we're here. We can't know what our purpose is. We can't know where we're going. We can't know if there's anything beyond this. And so we can't know good. We can't know bad. We don't know right. We don't know wrong. There's really no reason for us to exist. And that's the philosophy. And that's sad. It's depressing. But it's people who are trying to make sense of the world and they're being truthful about it, and they're being consistent about it when God's not in the picture. 
which that's what Solomon is doing here in Ecclesiastes. He's saying life under the sun. If we're just looking at the life here, then we can come to similar conclusions that there's really no good way forward. Life is meaningless. There's no purpose. There's nothing you can hold on to. There's nothing eternal. But the rest of the Bible emphasizes that we can grab onto something beyond the sun, that we can look beyond this life. And at that point, life suddenly is flourishing with purpose and it's flooded with meaning. And that's why Jesus said, don't grab at the wind. He didn't say that, but he said, don't store up your treasure here where thieves can break in and where moths can eat up your clothes and where rust can corrode your precious spoons and forks. Don't store up things here that you can't take with you. You can't have them. They will go away. They're not eternal. They're not satisfying. But instead, store up your treasure in heaven where thieves can't steal, where moths can't come in and eat, where rust will not corrode. Uh, nothing can happen to the things that you invest in the eternal kingdom. And it's an eternal investment. It will satisfy. It's ongoing. It, it's not like grabbing the wind. It's something you can actually hold on to forever, and it can never be taken from you. Which is ironic, considering that the investment you're making is in something that currently you can't see. It is like wind in that sense, but it's the only thing that you can actually take in perpetuity with you eternally. And so we read in the book of Ecclesiastes about life under the sun, and it's really one book that sets itself apart from the rest of the biblical canon, and that all of the other scripture point to living life for purposes beyond the sun, living for God, living a life that is honoring to him, that that embraces the purposes of redemptive history and the Great Commission and the church in our family dynamics and our relationships. Um, all of it is full of purpose, but only because we have a glimpse of what God is doing and we're working for him in order that we might inherit something in eternity when we go to be with the Lord. If we don't have that in our mind, then our life is meaningless and it's lacking of any kind of purpose. So set your sights beyond the sun and don't get caught in the never-ending cycle of meaninglessness that this world offers us. We'll see you next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast. 